Okay, everybody, welcome back to another Worth It podcast. Uh, before we open the show, we got a big show today. We want to remind you about our golf tournament coming up on June the 17th at Creekside Golf Course as we uh, get closer to our $10,000 goal, currently setting at about $3,500. So thank you, everybody, who continues to donate and pour out love uh, to help these kids. We are just blessed beyond belief. Uh, Coach Dorsey, you want to tell us a little bit about our guest today? Yeah, again, thanks, Ryan. Um, super excited about today's podcast. So um, doesn't need much of an introduction, but um, we are so very blessed and excited to have Coach Mark Rick with us. Um, and I, obviously in the state of Georgia, um, that name um, just resonates through our state uh, more than most. So we are super excited. But um, for those of you that may not know, um, Coach is a retired uh, head football coach. Uh, also played quarterback at Miami from 1978 to 1982. Um, he's also been a, or, and currently is a TV analyst. Uh, spent 14 years uh, at Florida State as quarterback coach, offensive coordinator under the infamous Bobby Bowden. And one quick story on that, Coach Rick, that, um, to this day, I'm an old football coach myself, and I still have uh, a VHS tape with you doing quarterback drills with Brad Johnson and Charlie Ward. So um, it's it actually – it was actually Casey Weldon. Uh, oh, was it Casey Weldon? No, I'm so It was sorry. Casey and Brad, but Casey and Brad. That's right. You are you're 100 right. Um, so I have that and tells you I've been in athletic administration for eight years now. I've it out in a while, but <laughs> that's an old that's an old tape, but a good one. Yeah, it is. It is a very good one. So I used that one for years um, as I was working with our high school quarterbacks. Um, uh, spent, you know, coaches after that spent 15 years uh, at the University of Georgia, where he won. Uh, two SEC titles, five division titles, um, was two-time SEC coach of the year. Uh, from there, uh, finished up his career at the University of Miami for three years, uh, had an ACC division title, ACC coach of the year. Um, and in 2017 was the National Walter Camp coach of the year. So without further ado, Coach Bowden, um, you know, was very instrumental in, in what you did and, and kind of what guided you. And that's what resonated with me when I got to listen to you speak in Cedartown, uh, Georgia last year with FCA. Um, but, you know, just tell us a little bit about your family, your background, um, and, and thanks for being on the show. It's good to be here. Um, uh, we live in Athens, Georgia, like every other head coach since Vince Dooley. <laughs> I don't know something about Athens. You got Coach Dooley here. You got Ray Goff here. You got Jim Donnan here. And now I'm living in town. So uh, it's just a, it was a great city for us to raise our family. My wife, Catherine, and I have just celebrated 35 years of marriage a couple of days ago. And uh, we've got a, our oldest boy, John, is married to Anna. And uh, I shouldn't say more importantly, but more, more importantly, uh, their three children, our grandchildren, uh, Jaden, who's seven, Zoe, who's four, and Champ, uh, John, Jonathan Allen Rick, the second we call him Champ, was, was born three months ago. So we're very blessed there. And then our son David and Joanna live in uh, Nashville. They've got two cats and a dog. We thought they were going to have a baby, and then they, they chose to have a dog instead, so they postponed it a minute. And then our son Zach uh, lives in, lives in uh, I was going to say lives in Ukraine, but we adopted Zach and Anya from Ukraine. But Zach uh, lives in Orlando, Florida. He's doing well. And uh, Anya 
actually lives in Athens as well. She's a vet tech in town, actually working at the vet school in Georgia. So that's the, the you know, my, our nuclear family. And then my mom, my dad, my two brother, my brother, my two sisters and all their family, they all live in Athens, Georgia as well. So it's, it's part of the attraction to being here. That's good. Yeah, I, I knew you have a big family and, and just being so close and uh, being able to be around them. I know at one time you were living down in Florida and kind of um, going back and forth. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we were trying to uh, split time between uh, the beach there in Destin and, and Georgia. And I was trying to keep my residency in the state of Florida because there's a better tax situation. But uh, once the grand once the uh you started getting grandchildren and then uh had some health issues we may talk about before the show's over that uh kind of kept me closer to family gotcha well we're gonna dive right in so the first thing you know when i again kind of going back to um having that unbelievable experience to listen to you talk at an fca event but um, you know, the one thing that has been so impressive with you is, um, you know, that you've always kept faith um, as, as the number one uh, priority in your life. And, and I think that kind of started at Florida State. So, you know, just explain, we, we, you're going to get um, a lot of coaches, high school level coaches, you're going to get some uh, school level administration and, and academic leaders that are going to listen to this, but just, you know, why was Florida State um, so important to you and your career and more importantly, the impact that Bobby Bowden had on you? Well, Coach Bowden hired me in 1985 as a graduate assistant coach to help him coach quarterbacks at Florida State. Well, he came to the first quarterback meeting and followed me around the field a little bit as I was coaching the QBs under his uh, guidance. And then he never came back to my meeting. He just let me coach him. So uh, that was kind of amazing. I didn't even know uh, how big of a deal that was back then. But uh, to have a young 25-year-old graduate assistant coach coaching your QBs was, you know, at what's now a Power 5 school was, was a kind of a big deal, bigger than I realized. And then, uh, but, you know, he obviously he gave me a big break in my coaching career, but he made, gave me a much bigger break through the a tragedy. Actually, we had a, a player named Pablo Lopez, whose offensive lineman got shot and killed on a campus party. And um, during, a, during an open date, and we had a meeting the very next day, it happened on a Saturday night. And the next, meet, next day was Sunday, we had a meeting and uh, I had taken a role as my graduate assistant duties. Uh, one of my duties was to do that. And so I was in the back of the room as coach was speaking to the team. And, and he said, man, I don't know where Pablo is right now. I don't know where he'll spend eternity. He, uh, I don't know where he is in his faith. He says, but I do know this. There's a, a God in heaven who created us and loves us and wants a relationship with us, wants us to live forever with him in heaven one day and uh but there's a problem and that's that's when adam sin sin entered all mankind we're all descendants of adam and we were born with this sin nature because of adam sinning in the garden and uh so we're we're incapable of the standard of heaven which is perfection and god knew that so he he gave us a perfect sacrifice 
his son Jesus, who was not born of Adam, he was born of the Spirit, so he was perfect, lived a perfect life, was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. But if we just choose that uh, gift from God to us, then we can be we can be saved from the wrath of God because He is a just God. So basically, Coach was preaching the gospel to the team, and he said, "Men, you know, Pablo used to sit in that seat right there, and uh, now he's gone." He said, "You guys are 18 to 22 years old. You think you're going to live forever?" Just like Pablo thought he was going to live forever, and now, and now he's gone. He said, if that was you last night instead of Pablo, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And, um, you know, he was, he was speaking to the team, obviously, but I was in the back of the room, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and some seeds that were planted by a college teammate uh, years, years earlier came to, came to fruition, and uh, I was like, I knew where I was going. It was not a good place. So the next day, I knocked on Coach Bowden's door, and he said, he said, come on in, buddy. He, he called you buddy when he forgot your name. But uh, anyway, he, I came in his office. I said, I know you were talking to those players, Coach, but, but I need Jesus. And uh, I prayed to receive Christ in his office uh, that day in 1986. And uh, so, you know, not only did he give me a gift as far as being a coach, but he gave me the greatest gift, and that's – you know, being bold enough to pre preach the gospel to a group of young men that uh, affected my life for all of eternity. So just very thankful for that. And uh, from that day on, uh, I had one goal in mind, and that goal was to try to live a life that would be pleasing to God. And, you know, the, it's a very simple goal, not necessarily an easy goal, but um, it's one that I've kind of tried to operate out of ever since. Coach, I, I tell you, when I when I look, you never know how people are going to impact you. And this is one simple thing that impacted me, impacted Andy. Um, our wives are such big parts of what we do and what we couldn't do it without them. Um, when I look back at your years at Georgia and Miami, and you always had Catherine on the sideline. She was giving out water. or She was super involved uh, with you and your program. How did that come about? And and any advice for coaches who are struggling in that area or business leaders, right. anyone? Well, football is one of the uh, – football coaching is one of the vocations where your family really can get involved. Your your kids can come to games. They can wear the school colors. They can – they might, uh, uh, you know, be able to go on a, on a, a weight trip with you if you're a college coach or just a weight trip when you're – when you're riding down the road in the in the bus or whatever it is with your players, so it's very important uh, to create an atmosphere where family is welcome, where your kids are welcome to come by practice. Your your wife and children, are, you know, it's okay if they go to the football office and spend time just saying hi or having lunch or whatever it is. So we always fought really hard to carve out time. And another thing Coach Bowden blessed us with was. Um, he would ask the coaching staff, when are you going to see your kids? And, uh, and he said, the answer can't be, you know, Thursday night after the practice. Uh, you know, it had to be, when are you going to see your kids every single day? Are you going to see them in the morning? Are you going to see them at night before they go to bed? So we chose to have our staff meetings a little bit later in the morning so we could get up with our kids. I literally woke up with my children, had breakfast, 
had a family devotion, got him in the car, took him to school, did our spelling words on the way to school, whatever it was, and dropped him off and then went straight to the office and we started our staff meetings, usually around 8.30. So I had 15 years of that at Florida State. And, uh, and then when I went to Georgia, I, I continued on that tradition to you know, make it a family-friendly place. Well, you know, how did Catherine end up on the sideline? You know, in the, in the college ranks, when you go to an away game, uh, you know, the wife of the, all the coaches, and uh, they're, they're all going to be in the stands, okay? So it's not long that the opposing team figures out where the head coach is, where the head coach's wife is. And sometimes that could be an uncomfortable spot. And sometimes uh, Catherine would be invited to be in the, in the athletic director's box or the president's box at away games. But even that could be uncomfortable if things aren't going well and people are holding their tongue about what they're seeing and all that. She just never felt comfortable. So one pregame, uh, she was watching the, the kids put together the uh, water table and powering and all that kind of stuff. The athletic trainers doing their job, all their busy work to get prepared. And she's thinking, you know what, I could do that. And, uh, you know, because for years when I coached QBs, she could be involved, you know, making cookies for the guys or bringing them to the house and all that. And then when I became coordinator, it was a bigger group. And then head coach, it was 125 guys. So you just couldn't bake cookies for 125 guys. So uh, it was a way for her to give back to the team, but also uh, be away from all the uh, junk that could end up, you know, being in the stands. And I think that's a, I mean, that's great advice because, you know, whether you're high school, college ranks, uh, professional ranks, um, you got to make sure that, you know, your family's involved because of the difficulty in the hours uh, that we all right. put in. Um, and on that, on that point, uh, excuse me. Oh, you're fine. Um, you know, Catherine was so good at, uh, you know, understanding. She knew when I had to work and she, but she also knew when I, wasn't working where I wanted to be. And that was with her and, and the family. And so I'm not telling guys never to golf again, but for me, first of all, I stunk at golf. So it wasn't hard to give up. But when my son, John became two year old and I'm in the coaching business, uh, you know, I didn't feel like on the one day I had off, if I did, that I was going to go spend five hours of golf. And I, I wanted to be with John. I wanted to be with Catherine and, so the point I'm making is, you know, she knew I had to work hard and she would say, daddy's at work and he has to do it. And, and work to them was fun because they, they'd get to come and visit and things like that. And they got to know your players and, and all those kind of things. So that was, you know, bold trips, the whole thing was good. But, but she wasn't saying, hey, your dad's not home. He's not, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He, she was always saying when he, when he can be with us, he's going to be with us. But if he's not with us, he, he has to work. and. Uh, and take care of those boys. So she was always real supportive with our children. So our children didn't resent the relationships that we had with our players. Awesome. Well, I am a, um, my family are, you know, the friendly rivalry of the SEC. My family, we're, we're Tennessee fans. My wife's side of the family, they're from Knoxville. And right. uh, growing up, you know, being, or not growing up, I guess, but through my marriage the past 20 years and being around her family, you know, being Tennessee fans, I always told people, and I mean this wholeheartedly, that I'm not a Georgia fan, but I'm a Mark Rick fan. I've, I've just, 
uh, have the utmost respect for you, how you conducted and handled yourself and never wavered um, on your values. Can you uh, talk to us about, you know, the? I always remember that last press conference when you were at Georgia and, and your time there was done. And, and they asked, what was the next thing for you? And you said, I'm just going to walk with the Lord daily and be abundant to him. Tell us, you know, uh, about that conversation. And, you know, and I tell coaches all the time, you know, our positions are temporary. We're, you know, they're going to replace us. Right. I'm not going to be the last athletic director at East Paulding High School. Ryan's not going to be the last athletic director at North Paulding High School. So, you know, our time is li limited. You know, we want to plan our feet and, uh, and impact children and kids and, and, and coaches while we're in these positions, but walk through that little process with me. And, and I just, man, I was so impressed the way that you handled yourself during that press conference. Well, the bottom line is we were very thankful for what we had, what we experienced. We uh, had 15 years of Georgia and uh, we were, in, uh, we had a chance to raise our children. I mean, our youngest children went from pre-K all the way through high school in the same school in the same city. That's just, doesn't happen very often. And so, you know, we, we were thankful for what we had. And, uh, and we also, you know, when it came to, you know, what my next plan was, it's pretty simple uh, in that, you know, when, you're, when your heart changes uh, through coming to know Christ, then your behavior changes. And uh, if your goal, like I mentioned, is to live a life that would please God, it's, it's pretty Again, it's pretty simple in premise to how you want to go about your business. I mean, when I made decisions in life, uh, I was always trying to, if I had time, take it to prayer and come into some, some kind of peace with the decision before I made it. And if I had to make a decision quick, I was hoping that I was in the right spiritual state of mind on a daily basis that when I did make a quick decision, it was one that, that God would like. So, and I'll be honest with you, if I made a decision during the day and at night I put my head on the pillow and didn't have peace about it, I'd, I'd wake up the next day and, and change it if I could. I mean, some decisions you could change course and just say, you know what, I thought this was good, the best, but after, after you know, thinking about it through the night, uh, I don't feel comfortable with it. We're going we're to change course. And uh, so, when you have, you know, that guiding light of, of, uh, of your faith and God's word and uh, the Holy Spirit guiding you, then uh, it becomes uh, easy to make decisions. And I'll say this too, you know, when I took things to Catherine, it was real simple with her. She was like, if you think that's where God's leading you, I'm in, let's do it. If you don't, if you don't, if you're doing it because you, uh, you want, power or fame or money or whatever it is, uh, I'm out. So uh, that's kind of how she operated. So she made things pretty simple for me. That's really good. And I think so many times I've went back and I can remember where I was when that press conference was going on. And, and I still refer to it often and try to share it with my coaches. That was just a, a testimony to you and what you stood for. And in a time that was uncertain, you, you stood still in your faith and, and projected to everybody. So that's a man. What a, what a great thing you've done there. You know, talking about families. My uh, Andy and I both have incredible families with and incredible kids with Molly and and Major and Ava and Bryce. But my son went through some, some tough times. Kind of made us want to start this podcast. 
would, what would advice would you give, you know, thankfully he's came out of it and doing great. And we want to, we want to share the love with everybody else. What advice would you give to a coach who's going through a hard time, a family, uh, even a kid, any advice for adversity? Right. Well, I mean, there, there is, um, for example, uh, I just got diagnosed with Parkinson's. Okay. Um, that's not, an exciting thing to hear about. You know, Parkinson's, it's not a death sentence, but it's a progressive disease that little by little takes away your ability to move and, uh, and be able to be uh, independent. So over time, it becomes, uh, you almost, excuse me, you almost become a, a prisoner in your body, so to speak. And so um, when something like comes, when something like that comes up, you know, where, where, how do you handle that? I mean, for me, um, a scripture popped in my mind. I didn't get that diagnosis of Parkinson's and start looking in the Bible for a Bible verse. There's a Bible verse that just jumped in my brain that I'd, I'd heard over and over through my, you know, Christian life. And that was when the Apostle Paul was talking about his, all the, all the, persecution he had gone through and all the pain he'd gone through and being in prison. And he was just saying that he, he considered that uh, momentary light affliction compared to the glory that was coming. And, um, and so that, that scripture jumped in my head uh, when, I, when this Parkinson's things came. I looked at it as momentary in that it may be 20 or 30 years, but compared to eternity, it's pretty quick. And uh, light affliction you know so it was it's light in that uh you know compared to what christ went through it's it, this is not that horrible but uh, but i said that um you know I, through that scripture i was able to know that my hope is not in the things that are temporal if my hope was in what was going to happen on this earth it's not a lot of hope not a lot to look forward to physically for sure but if my hope is in eternal things and what's going to happen to me uh, after I die, you know, my spirit and soul that was made perfect in Christ is going to be joined with this glorified body with no sin and no disease. And, uh, you know, then I'm going to be, you know, raptured up in the, with the church, you know. And so when I think about eternal things, my hope is unbelievable. I have, I have tremendous hope. So I think. We've got to put things in perspective and know that things really do pass on this earth. And even if you had a perfect life, you know, our bodies were designed to live forever. And then Adam screwed it up and sinned. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have bodies that will, you know, eventually give out. Even if you're the healthiest person, you, let's say you lived in 90, never have a sick day in your life. You know, your body still eventually gives out. So, uh, you know, if your hope is just, things of the earth, it's going to be futile. It's going to be gone. It's going to be vanity, like Solomon said. But if your hope is in eternal things and eternal life, you know, God didn't promise us a perfect life on earth, he, but he did promise us a perfect eternal life. And that's what we've got to look forward to. Yeah, that's inspirational, and and uh, I agree with you 100. That's a great perspective, and you know, and 
every one of us uh, go through, you know, have our own battles. And at some point in time, we're going to face these challenges. And, um, you know, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, um, you know, some type of disease or some type. And again, it unfortunately with somebody like Bryce, it, you know, it happened uh, when he came out of the womb. And then some people, like you said, are going to be 90 years old, but eventually our bodies are going to give up. And, and that does give us hope um, that there is uh, eternal life outside of what happens here on this earth. Um, Coach, real quick, uh, you know, and again, you, you've shared so much about your faith and um, how did you get involved in FCA? I mean, you, you know, coached right. for a very long time and, um, you know, you could be retired and, and laying on the beach and, and, <laughs> and not doing anything, but you continue to serve. You continue to be a servant leader. Um, you, you come up and, and do a podcast with, with two guys that you don't know anything about. Um, um, and, and so it's just, it's inspirational. So, you know, how'd you get involved with FCA? Well, the, the first I remember, Catherine and I went to an FCA fundraiser in Tallahassee when we first got married. And um, when it came time to give, we, we gave a hundred a month. <laughs> we, we didn't have, we didn't have a hundred a month, but I got married. I was on volunteer coaching status and she was working with the department of revenue entry level job. And, uh, but we were inspired by what FCA is capable of doing. And, uh, eventually we got a chance to go to black mountain on a couple of coaches, family trips and, you know, really game changers for us in the growth of our faith and ended up meeting a guy named Bob Warren there who was teaching Romans to everybody and he became my spiritual mentor uh so there you know there's a lot of wonderful things that fca did for me personally but you know as a whole to i mean just think about it it's it's a, it's a miracle it's a minor miracle that fca can be in our schools right now the way the way the country's going and the way uh everybody's trying to cancel this and cancel that i mean it's it's shocking to me that the government hasn't tried to shut it down. And so we need to hang on to that. We need to support that. And, and you know, FCA is, is doing their very best to spread the gospel and to be there for, you know, middle school, high school, college age kids, uh, you know, to manage life and to come to know Christ. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's an unbelievable organization. And, but the, the, the people that are working, the, the soldiers, the, the staff, the team chaplains and character coaches or whatever you want to call them, I mean, they're, on, they're boots on the ground. And they have, a, they have a ministry of availability to the coaches and the players. And there's things that players don't want to tell their parents. They don't want to tell their coach. They need to tell somebody. And if they have someone within FCA to talk to, uh, that, that's really big. So uh, it's, I think it's really important uh, to support it and uh, allow the, the soldiers to do their work, their, do their ministry. Their ministry is not raising money. You know, raising money is for people that, you know, have the means to do it. And sometimes like Catherine and I in the beginning really didn't have the means to do it, but we gave anyway. So FCA is very important to us, and uh, we've, always, we've always supported it. Coach, that's so good. Tell us about your book, Make the Call, and what, what kind of inspired you to write it? Well, Make the Call, first of all, I was uh, 
asked to write a book while I was still at Georgia. I tried to start writing it. And I said, I got a window of time that I got to write this book uh, during my summertime vacation. Basically, we're going to have to do it real quick. Well, the guy that I was writing it with just couldn't get his act together. And bottom line was two days are starting and I'm, I'm, reviewing, chap I'm reviewing chapter one. And I'm like, first of all, this thing stinks. Number two, there's no way I could do this book and do my job. So I postponed it. Uh, and then uh, I retired from coaching and my literary agent came to me and says, you want to write this book? I said, I don't know. I'll think about it. Well, not long after that, I have a heart attack. And uh, that's a whole other story we don't have time for. But the bottom line was I was on my deathbed and praise God, I was so peaceful and excited to go. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful feeling to know that even though I thought I was dying, I knew where I was going, and so I had that peace. So that was that was wonderful. But so I, I survived the heart attack, <laughs> and the, the literary agent calls me again. He says, "Hey, coach, if you're gonna write that book, you might better do it quick because you never know what tomorrow's gonna bring." And so I decided to write it, and uh, it happened right during COVID. And uh, so there's nothing to do but write a book. And uh, the book, quite frankly, since we're talking to you know, an audience of believers and some not, I'm sure, but uh, the book is an evangelistic tool. It's a, it's a book to help bring people to Christ disguised as a football book. And, and uh, there's a lot of great football in there, a lot of great strategy, a lot of great stories at Florida State, Miami, and, uh, and Georgia. But the bottom line is make the calls about making decisions. And coaches make calls all the time whether you're calling plays or making decisions in a game or with the discipline or whatever it is. But we all make calls in life. We all make decisions. And there's a lot to help people uh, navigate decisions that need to be made in their lives and in their families. And, Andy, this is a little bit off script. And, Coach, I hope you don't mind. But um, as we look at this and, you know, kind of to wrap the show up, I just wanted to ask about the word finish. You know, you look at that Georgia – last press conference and you coached that last bowl game and you said, look, I'm, I want to finish this thing. I want to, we're going to hold our kids accountable. We're going to hold our, everyone around us accountable. We're going to finish and go to this bowl game and, and you finish that well. And now you look at your life and what a life you've lived and you got a long time left on this earth to continue to serve and help people, but you're going to finish that even with adversity and Parkinson's. What, what does that word finish mean to you? Right. Well, just to set the record state, set the record straight, I ended up not coaching that last bowl game. My my intention at the press conference was to finish with the team and coach that bowl game. But what happened was something I didn't dream would happen. And I, I thought I was going to take a year off of coaching and all that. And as it turned out, I took the Miami job within about 48 hours and I didn't want to try to be the head coach at Miami and the head coach at Georgia at the same time. I, I tried that at Florida State. Uh, when I got the job at Georgia, Coach Bowen asked me to stay on staff and finish and coach the national championship game. And I found out it's very difficult to do both at the same time. And I felt like I cheated the, the team at Florida State uh, of my best. So I didn't want to coach that last game at Georgia and not give it my all because I had, I was double-minded with two jobs. So as it turned out, uh, 
the staff took uh, took that game and, and finished the game and actually won it, and I was thankful that they did. Um, it was so cool. I was reading the article about how you were checking back in and, and, and talking to players and staff and still still on board with what they were doing while 100% uh, Miami. It was, it was really cool. Well, one thing that was nice is when I when I did have to go from Georgia, I was able to address the team and and after the when the team when the meeting was over, I probably hugged 125 guys in a row, and uh, it was very nice to be able to finish that way and and have closure because when the regular season ends, there there is a you know about a month before the bowl and a lot of time to reflect and regroup. But, um, you know, finish the drill was a saying that we used in Georgia, and it had to do with uh, off-season conditioning drills. You had to finish the drill harder than you started. Everybody starts a drill well, but not everybody finishes well. And uh, game one, I mean, it was a grueling off-season conditioning program that tested everybody, coaches, players alike. And, but it also draws you together. And, it, and when, you, when you go through something tough together, uh, it makes you stronger as a team. So year one, we're playing Tennessee at Tennessee. I hate to bring up this this game there, Tennessee guy, but uh, we uh, had the lead at the end of the game. Looked like we had a game one. They got a three and out on us, a screen pass for 87 yards, I think it was, and scored a touchdown with under a minute to go. And uh, we took the ball down the field and got on the goal line, about eight-yard line with just a few seconds to go. And then it ended up scoring the touchdown. And uh, it was a great win against a great Tennessee team at Tennessee. Hadn't, Georgia hadn't won at Tennessee in like 20 years. And um, so we get in the locker room, we're celebrating. And um, as, as I get everybody calmed down, I start trying to explain what had happened and, you know, praise everybody. And one of the guys uh, shouted, we finished the drill, coach. And uh, I, was, I was like, that's right, we finished the drill. I mean, so finish the drill, you know, means don't quit no matter how tough it is. And it's not just a football drill or a football game. It's, it was academics for them. It's relationships. It's marriages. It's, it's Veron Haynes who scored the winning touchdowns, daughter who didn't want to finish, uh, wanted to quit her dance class because she didn't like it. It was too hard. And he said, Said, baby, the the Haynes family, we don't we don't quit. We finished the drill, and uh, that same Veron Haynes graduated from college late because he went pro and came back years later to get his degree. And his children were old enough to know what was up. And his son tugged on his on his cap and gown and said, "Hey, Dad, you finished the drill." And uh, so finishing uh certainly means to be able to persevere and that we know that that gives us strength that gives us hope for the future uh the last thing i'd like to end with and i know coach rick had talked about how important fca fca is to uh the local communities and our high schools but one thing with having robbie on here that i would like to say is how much fca you know being those soldiers um battling um, spiritually for us is how much um, they do for our coaches. Robbie's been so instrumental to me um, through my low and high times in my life. So uh, just, Robbie, just wanted to give you a shout out and just tell you thank you for, you know, what you do. And I know you gave up a, um, a career and, and everything because that, that's what God had for you and, and your mission. So um, with Robbie, with Coach Rich, just 
thank you for blessing others. I mean, just really, just uh, I thank you so much for continuing to bless us, um, blessing our students, our athletes, and everything that you guys do for us. You're worth it. I'll just say, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a great appreciation for everybody who, uh, you know, follows the call that God gives them to ministry. And uh, it's not easy by any stretch. And uh, but that's why it's so important that uh, that people give to help support these these uh, causes because uh, these ministries, because uh, if everybody spent another time raising money, they, they can't do ministry for these coaches and players and everybody they touch. So uh, it's, it's a worthy cause. And, and just to kind of wrap, Coach, thank you for everything. We've had an unbelievable time here. You've been so gracious with your time. And we want to remind all our, our audience, if you feel the need or you're led to give, uh, reach out to us, text us, email us, uh, call us or visit tinyurl slash worthitpodcast.com. And just a reminder, every $1,000 goes directly uh, into a kid, changes his life with a hearing aid. And also, if you feel led to give to FCA, we encourage you to do that. So what a wonderful show this has been. Coach, thank you so much. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Coach. All right, y'all have a good day. God bless. Thank you all.